probably sung 21, which is sung to the same tune. So you might have heard, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. 20 is the same tune. And this is a song of thanksgiving. separate the two, separate so-called spiritual things from uh, God's creation. He didn't mean that they're the same, but that they go together, because the heavens declare the glory of God. And when we look at the world that God made, not the, not the worldly system, but the world that God made, it should make us praise our God and thank Him. Christ our God 
as reading uh, verse 3 for the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, friends of earth and friend above for all gender uh, but what? Gender? <laughs> oh, sometimes it's just you see things that aren't there but I'm so familiar with it <laughs> so what song is that? Psalm 73 Psalm 73 tonight Psalm 73. The writer of this song, the human writer, is Asaph. He's one of three chief musicians that David appointed. And uh, Asaph had several uh, children, several boys. And they also were musicians and they wrote songs and also did music. When um, the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Israel from Philistine hands, uh, Asaph did the music for that one. First Chronicles 15 tells us about that. And then uh, Asaph also uh, and his sons, they led music in two kings' revivals, Hezekiah and Josiah. And so the sons of Asaph, uh, they also led the music when Solomon laid the foundation of the temple we find that in Ezra chapter 3. So Asa is the author of this song, uh, humanly speaking, and all the Bible is written by men. Uh, it wasn't just snap the finger and the Bible is there, but uh, human instruments were used to write the scriptures and uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 73, this is a psalm of Asaph. Verse number one, a lot in this verse. Try to cover uh, this chapter and try to give the main thoughts about it and some simple illustrations and applications. Verse number one says this, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And so Asaph wrote this in verse number one. He says something very positive and very true that everyone should think about, especially Christians. Uh, God is good to Israel. And you can say as a matter of fact in history, God has been good to Israel through its founding, founding and also through its trials and tribulations. God has been faithful to them. God has been good to them. And you can, by extension, say that God has been good to his church as well. The, 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 the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so, uh, back to Asaph. He wrote uh, 12, I believe, 12 psalms. He wrote Psalms uh, 50. wrote Psalm, this one, 73. And also, 73 to 83. He wrote all of these psalms. And so, when you read your Bible, at the top you have some headings. And it says, like in Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. So it identifies who the human writer is. And so back to Asaph, he begins in the first verse of this psalm. He says, uh, God is good, truly. We would say, for real. Truly, God is good to Israel. And so uh, the ending of this chapter, verse number 28, ends like this. But it is good for me to draw near to God. So at the beginning, he says, God is good to Israel. And at the end of this chapter... Verse 28, it is, a good, it is good for me to draw near to God. So in between these verses, 
we have something going on that Asaph observes in his lifetime and it gives him trouble. He is observing life and through his eyes he sees things going on and it bothers him. Well, let's see what bothered Asaph and uh, verse number two. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious uh, at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Verse 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, there are uh, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So these verses, verses 2 through 12, this is the cause of Asaph saying what he says. Verse number 2, As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well not slipped. He says in verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish. So Asaph, between the verses that say God is good and he, it's a good thing for him to draw near to God, between those verses, he sees the world, he sees the wicked before him, he observed that they seem to be very prosperous. They have everything that they want. There's no lack. Everything with a snap of the finger they get. They are rich. They're prosperous. They seem to be blessed. Everything they want, they get. They don't seem to have any problems. They don't seem to get sick. They don't seem to have any um, issues with life or health. They seem to be just great. And so he observes these things, and he sees this, and he feels kind of bad. He feels kind of bad. This is like a contradiction. He says in verse number one, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such, even to such as are of a clean heart. So God is good to the nation of Israel as a corporate group. But then it says individually, he's good to those who are of a clean heart. But, but wait a minute now. He's thinking out loud as he observes life. He says, the wicked, they're not right with God. They don't walk with him. They don't follow his rules. And they don't obey his commandments. And they seem to be so prosperous. They are so well off. They're, verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They have nothing going contrary to what they want. And because of that, verse 6, pride compassed them about as a chain. They feel very secure in their prosperity. They must think they're doing everything right. They must not think they're doing anything wrong. Verse 7, they have more than heart could wish. That is saying a lot right there. More than heart could wish. Well, if you were, remember that little fable about the genie and the lamp, and you had three wishes? Rub the lamp, the genie comes out, and you have three wishes. And uh, I don't know why people believe that. It's just make-believe. But the idea is that if I could get this, this is what I want, and you get it. Well, here are the wicked. Here are the wicked. They have more than they want. They don't have three wishes. They have a thousand wishes. And everything they wish for, they get. You would think that'll make them happy. Well, they seem to be happy. In verse number six, they are so arrogant and prideful. Violence covereth them as a garment. They put people down. They stomp on people, as we would say. 
and uh, nothing seems to stop them. They can do what they want. Verse 8, they are corrupt. They speak loftily. They talk big. They talk about what they have done, their achievements, their success. This is what I own. I met someone, um, uh, this is Wednesday, two days ago. And this person was at the Halakalan Hotel, a very five-star-ish hotel. And this woman came into the car and she was in a hard get down to the Hawaiian Airlines corporate offices. Well, uh, I had in my front seat a gallon of soap that I bought for my wife from Sands, but she couldn't handle the smell. And so I was taking it back and I said, uh, well, you know, uh, let me put this down so it won't spill over. I just lift up there and show this. I said, this one I got to return to Sands from what I put in the floor. She says, well, my husband never did that for me. And I thought, hmm, that's a strange thing to say to a stranger. And uh, I said, and she said, she wouldn't even come. He, he wouldn't even come with me, come to Hawaii. I'm here in a corporate business kind of thing. She's on the board of Hawaiian Airlines. I looked it up. She wasn't kidding. She's there, right there since 2020. And so um, that's who she is. And so she began talking about her husband. I'm thinking, well, this is kind of odd for you to be complaining about your husband. But uh, as we were talking, she said she bought land. She bought a farm in Northeast Georgia, near Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia, that's where that number one college football team, the school is. The Georgia Bulldogs. Well, she bought a thousand acre ranch, farm. It was owned by a celebrity, a well-known singer. White hair, white beard, had a kind of soft voice, great man, they say, in the 80s. Very, very well known. If I mention the name, you may not know him, but that's okay. Somebody would. And they bought uh, the ranch, which was put up for auction. So they own a thousand acre ranch and they grow cattle. And she was talking about her cattle. And it was very interesting, actually. And so I want to know why I was asking her some questions. But she bought the cattle and she, she, um, she does something chemically so that um, they can control the breeding of the animals. And so right now she says it's an investment and they hope to turn a profit shortly, like in the next couple of years. But her husband couldn't come, she said, because he has to tend the cattle. Thousand acre ranch, can you imagine that? A thousand acres, that's a lot of property. That's about all the Hawaiian Islands put together, it seems like. Anyway, she's got all this stuff. Now, she's not bragging about it. She was just telling us, as a matter of fact. But the people here, they are bragging. They're boasting. They're talking loftily. They smoke their big fat cigars, and they're at the uh, places of um, where they socialize and talk about what they have. They, they're talking about their prosperity. And they are just very proud of what they have. They speak loftily. And then, verse number 9, they are so proud. Look what they do in verse number 9. They set their mouth against the heavens. Well, that's a pretty dangerous thing to do. They're disregarding the God who gave them the brains and the skills and the imagination to produce and to earn wealth. They set their mouths against the heavens. So they're actually now so prideful, so full of success and prosperity that they don't even recognize God, their maker. They set their mouths against, they talk bad against God they say, don't bring God's name into this conversation. What's he got to do with anything that we have? A very dangerous, dangerous attitude to have. They set their mouths against the heavens. Well, verse 11, they mock God. They think God is uh, deaf and blind. The ungodly are the ones who are prosperous. And that is why Asaph 
is having a little doubt and a little bit of second thoughts. He is wondering why he who serves God, godly, a good man, obeys the commandments of God, follows and walks with the Lord. He doesn't have the prosperity that these people have. So it's like, what is going on here? They have everything and the godly, they have nothing. So this is what is happening in this song. And he is wrestling with this. And also, did you know that King David also had a comment about what Asaph was thinking about? Turn back to Psalm 37. Who can find Psalm 37 when I say go? When I say go, turn to Psalm 37. When I say go. I got a hint earlier that somebody had a different Bible that they can find verses quicker, so I'll give that person a chance. Psalm 37, verse number one, go. Sorry, I didn't look. Who is, who is first? Psalm 37 1. Fret not thyself because of evil doers, neither be thou envious against the work of the wicked. Okay, so David, King David, had a word about envy. Now, Asaph in Psalm 73, he had a problem with envy. Verse 3, Psalm 73, verse number 3. For, for what? Verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For, here's why I almost slipped. Here's why I almost got mad at God. Here's why I almost got upset with the Lord. Here's why I almost, uh, quote, turned in my, my Christian card, even though he wasn't a Christian back then. There were no Christians in the Old Testament. But verse number three, for reason, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So, Asaph is saying, Oh me, when I look at all that they have, what all they have acquired and all, all the holiness that they have and all the, the wealth that they have and all the property and everything else, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph is thinking like this and King David also had a commentary about that. We just read that in Psalm 37. And so the wickedness of man, yet they prosper. Well, this is a, this is a troubling thought. How can the wicked prosper? I thought God blesses people who follow him and they prosper. I thought, or people think, and the Bible teaches, perhaps, perhaps not, that if you're right with God, he will bless you and give you what you desire. I think that's a song that says um, that he will give the desires of your heart if you're righteous. And so Asaph said, okay, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. I'm of a clean heart, he says. Yet I have a problem with what I see. As for me, verse 2, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was in this at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What is going on here? Asaph is thinking like this. Now, some people say that this chapter is a prophetic chapter about the tribulation, where in the tribulation the wicked will have an end. Well, we can we can think by human experience and also from the Bible says, sometimes the wicked they have no end in this lifetime. Sometimes the wicked continue being wicked and there's no stopping them, it seems. Sometimes throughout human history, the wicked seem to, quote, get away with their wickedness. And they, they pillage towns and they go through cities and they uh, spoil it with no thought for human life. They're just evil, cruel people. They seem to get away with it. So some writers say that perhaps the psalm is prophetic about the tribulation in which the wicked will seem to have control of the world, but then there's an end to them when the Lord comes back. It could be that. It could be that. 
It could be tribulation in its context. Look at verse number 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. The thing I want you to see is that those two words, therein. Sometimes there are no ending, there is no ending to the wickedness of man in this lifetime. They seem to really, literally get away with murder. Well, we know that there's judgment coming for those who live a life on earth, and ultimately there is justice. But in this lifetime, there sometimes seems to be no justice at all. Well, whichever the case is, Asaph does feel like he's envious because they're prospering more than God has blessed the righteous and those who walk with him. Well, envious because they have it made, verses 3 through 12. Envy in the heart is a real serious problem. Envy, being envious, is a serious problem of the heart. It was envy that caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. It was envy that caused Cain to kill his brother Abel. It was envy that caused Joseph to be thrown into a pit by his brothers. It was envy that caused the world to crucify Jesus Christ. And so envy is a very serious, evil heart problem. The root cause of a lot of problems in the life of a Christian even. The root cause of a lot of problems among business people, among athletes. Being number one in any stage of life or any status of life, a lot of it is due to due to the sin of envy, trying to outdo someone else, trying to have more, trying to be better, trying to be number one all the time. And it could be purely because of envy, envy in the heart. Now in Psalm 73, verse number 13 and 14, look at how he felt, 13 and 14. I know sometimes we talk a lot about uh, how we feel and how someone feels. Let's be careful about hurting someone's feelings. And we should be considered about all these things However, look at how Asaph felt when he considered what he saw about the wicked prospering. Verse number 13 and 14. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. Huh? I have cleansed my heart in vain. What is he saying? When he considered all the prospering of the wicked, he says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. In other words, what do I, what, what do I get from living right? What benefit is it for me or to me by living right? Nothing. I don't have what they have. It's vain. He's not feeling pretty good, is he? He's feeling kind of down and feeling kind of, uh, how do you spell pity party? How do you spell woe is me? How do you spell it's not fair? Verse 13, verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chasten every morning. Now verse 14 seems to be an exaggeration. All the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning? Well, I'm not sure if that's a literal statement or not, but he sure feels that way, which means he feels really bad that he doesn't see life like it should be. Of course, that's through his eyes and through his understanding that the wicked apparently are prospering even though they're wicked, I'm not prospering, but I live right. This is almost like a dilemma that a Christian thinks about every once in a while, and then they have doubts. Uh, Dennis Prager said that he once spoke to 400 atheists in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he asked a question, this was about 10 or 15 years ago. He asked the question, 
How many, raise your hand, um, you atheists, if you felt this way. Have any of you ever doubted your atheism? Raise your hand. He said, not one man raised their hand. They've never doubted their atheism. They're so convinced that God is not real and that science, the mind, you are your own destiny, you are your own God. They're so convinced about that. He said, not one hand came up. Well, Asa's hand came up, I'm doubting God. And a lot of Christians, their hands could come up too when things aren't like they think it should be. Why is it that he has a, a, a Tesla? How come he's got a house up in Hawaii Kai, the highest ridge? Have you ever been up Ainakoa Road, you? You've been up Ainakoa? Oh, boy. It comes, the only, the only flat place on Ainakoa is at the top, where you come to the end of the road, and there's a house there on the right hand, the third house on the end, and she grows plants, she just sells them on Facebook Marketplace. I went there one time, it's my bang. All the way up, I'm thinking, I gotta come back down. <laughs> it goes up a mile and a half. And it is such a view coming down, but I'm thinking, oh, I gotta put my car in second gear. It's gonna run, my, it's gonna really run the brake, brakes make it really hot. I think about that, but I did save $1.50. So it's worth the drive. Um, people can think because of their material wealth, I am good. And so Asaph is looking at life, he's saying, this doesn't seem to be fair. And I suspect Christians also feel like that as well every once in a while in their lifetime when they see how the wicked seem to be prospering and uh, they pray, they go to church, they tithe, they're faithful. And yet, they don't seem to have a lot of things that the world has. Can you understand how he may have felt? Well, uh, this is how he feels. Very much like he's left out, it's not fair. Um, it's almost like when it comes to health, if you think about this, some people, they never smoke, they never drink, and then they get a disease, liver disease. But they never smoked, they never drank, and their friends who do, they're perfectly healthy, it seems. It seems that way. So it's almost like, why why did they eat all that oatmeal growing up? Why did they eat all that good food growing up? And look at these guys, and I got this problem. Look at these guys. They seem to be the epitome of health. What's wrong with this picture? And that's what he's thinking. Uh, an atheist, an atheist doesn't pray, doesn't acknowledge God. He thinks that he is uh, the end of all things. He is a God unto himself. Uh, life is smooth for him. Uh, nothing's wrong, seems. And the Christian prays and trusts the Lord and uh, hardships come and struggles come. It doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. That's how he's thinking. So this is the question in his mind. He writes it down, he voices his feelings about that. And uh, so you can kind of understand and appreciate. I hope that uh, he says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've cleansed my heart in vain. I did the right thing, I lived right, uh, I served the Lord uh, with, in the music ministry, but uh, oh boy, oh boy. This is a temptation, envy is a temptation. When we look at the world through our eyes and we think, boy, 
Look at that. Boy, look at that. Boy, look at that. Now, I will say to you, not all rich people are evil, okay? And we must acknowledge that because it is not true that we say, and I'm not giving the impression, but a lot of wealthy people are very gracious, kind, helpful people. Did you know, and I didn't know this, and so that's why I asked, did you know, that one of the most outstanding, because he's so big, basketball players who's now retired, Shaquille O'Neal, they call him the Shaq, the Shaq attack. He was so big and so wide, he several times broke basketball rims when he dumped the ball, because he's put all his weight on the rim, he just tore the whole thing apart. Kind of fun to see. Then they'll stop the game, sweep it all up, you know, cause a delay. But uh, he went, he went to some stores. He shops at Walmart. He shops at Walmart. And he sees someone picking at something, looking at something, and he'll ask questions, and he'll say, you know what, let me buy that for you. He's bought people a lot of big ticket items just because he can. That's kind of nice of him. Most famous people, most wealthy people like that, they don't bother to become little. They just stay big. But this big guy, he gets little, and he uh, really kind of enjoys helping people out by buying stuff for them. Good for him. Now, whatever his faith is, I don't know. I'm just saying by observing that that man is at least kind to other people. And so he would not be the type that we would say belongs to in this group that Asaph is looking at. A lot of people are very arrogant when they have a lot of things. They're very high-nosed. They're very cocky, very proud of their achievements. Well, uh, Asaph, Asaph here is concerning himself about this feeling that he has in his heart. He's envious, envious. Now turn to Proverbs 27, verse number four, a word about envy. Proverbs 27, verse number four. I mentioned three examples of when envy was the cause of someone's death. Now Proverbs 27, verse number four, tells us how powerful a force envy is for the negative. Twenty-seven four. Wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? It's a very destructive feeling. Who is able to stand before envy? It'll slay a man. It'll slay a woman. Envy. Did it cause people to become bitter, sour? Did it cause people to try to do something that they shouldn't try to do? Did it cause people to try to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with the Taniguchis or the Sugimotos? Did it cause people to try to keep up with people and strive to be like them, thinking that I, I just need to? Envy could be the cause of all that um, seeking for that uh, impossible dream kind of thing. Now, I want you to say something else about envy. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, come over there with me. Luke chapter 15. Indy, it'll ruin your day. Luke 15. You know what happened here? The prodigal son took off with a lot of money and he blew it all in a period of time. We don't know how long it took for him to blow it all, but he blew it all, all gone. Ended up in a very humble condition, finally went home, came unto himself, and uh, as a matter of fact, 
sometimes people won't come back home until they come to themselves. And he did, thankfully. He did, thankfully. And so come down to verse number 29. Uh, back up to Twenty-four. The father, his father, explains why we should have a barbecue, why we should have a luau, which why we should have, except for the lomi salmon, or we should have all a big celebration. Verse twenty-four. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Uh, that's a picture of a man getting saved. Verse twenty-five. Now his elder son. Here comes the important thing of this parable. Now, his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he was not home in the home when his brother came home. He was out working like he's supposed to be working. Verse 26, and he called on the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Verse 28, Ask yourself this question. And he was angry. Well, I would thought his brother would be happy. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. So why was the brother angry? Verse 29. He answering said to his father, Lo. Maybe he said, Dad. I hope he didn't say old man. You should never call your father old man. And he answered says to his father, Dad, Lo. Uh, these many years, now listen to what he's saying and try to read into it what he's really saying. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Well, wasn't that good for you to stay home and serve your father? Yes. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Wasn't that a good thing for him to be an obedient son? Yes. Two yeses. And yet thou never gavest me a kid. You never had a barbecue for me. I've never strayed from home. I've never had a celebration for me that I might make merry with my friends. Can you find this, this elder brother a little bit mad? Do you see a little bit bitter? Oh, let's read verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living, oh, you can feel him. You can feel his anger which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So the boy is really upset, isn't he? Now I want you to look, look at that and think, why is he so upset? Well, we don't have all night, so I'll tell you the answer. It's because he didn't get something that his little brother had. A big celebration. Wait a minute. He messed up. He wasted his, all this. It, I didn't mess up. I didn't drain my bank account of all my fortune. My inheritance is still there. It's intact. It's still in the bank. But he took everything. He's got nothing. He's got zero. And look at him. He's come back. He looks like a. He, he's lost 50 pounds. Well, no. He lost a lot of weight. And he looks like, oh, brother. What a. And there's a party for him. There's a barbecue for him. Dad, I didn't do anything wrong. How come I didn't get anything? And so he's kind of envious. He's full of envy. 
He's envious because his brother seems to have gotten goodies, prosperity, a barbecue, a celebration, a coming home party, like he's a war hero of some sort. Well, he's not a war hero. He didn't fly B-29 over Germany. No, he didn't do that. He didn't get shot down, had to parachute for his life and escape uh, in the jungles of, you know. No, he didn't do anything like that. He's not a hero, yet he has a hero celebration. This isn't right. This is what this is what he sees. This is what he feels. And he feels like his dad hasn't done him right because he's been a good boy. What did he get for that? I can't even have my friends over for a party. Oh, boy. And so he's just... He's just uh, mad, and he is envious because his brother had something he never had. Envy is a real problem in the heart. Be careful that envy doesn't creep in. And come back to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Come to verse number 2. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Now, did he slip? Did he fall? Did Asaph get angry with God? Did Asaph say, I quit the music ministry and I'm going to get my boys to quit too? Did he do that? Verse 2, but as for me, my feet were almost, almost gone. It wasn't gone, but it's close. My steps had well nigh slipped. It, my, one more step, I would have slipped. If I had entertained that thought one more day, one more minute, I would have quit the ministry, he says. <laughs> now, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Now, I, I kind of remember slipping. Every time I feel my head right here, I remember slipping. Mama says, honey, you look funny. And I look at her like, what are you trying to say? Is it lack of hair? What is it? He says, no, you got a dent in your head. And I feel a little weird. And I, when I try to do that, raise my over here, I can't raise it up. I asked someone once, they said, oh, because they had to stitch it and pull it tough. What, the stitches aren't there anymore. I can't do that. This is how I can raise it up. Okay, I got a dent over here. Something, I'm a noggin. Well, I know what slipping's like. I took one step, I, I took steps to the top, all the way down, nothing, no problem. But I took one step, and that's when I slipped. He says, I almost slipped. I didn't slip, but I almost slipped. Yeah, I came that close to slipping. I came that close to slipping, but he didn't slip. And um, so he caught himself from falling. Not falling from grace, not falling, losing his salvation, because, uh, of course, it's a different dispensation. It's not like that. But for the New Testament Christian, we worry, we fret needlessly about losing and falling from grace. That cannot happen. Well, he says... I, my feet almost slipped. I almost slipped. My steps were well nigh slipped, but he didn't, did not. The phone almost rang, it did ring. <laughs> I almost quit church. I almost quit reading my Bible. I almost quit on God. I almost, I almost, I almost. Well, almost is pretty close, it's too close, but he didn't do it. I almost, I almost, I almost. Well, almost is not committal, but sure came close. Sure came close. And so, um, his opening line of this song is a good one. 
truly God is good to Israel. Now, if we would stop, truly God is good, that would be a good message right there. Truly God is good. Because God certainly was good to Israel. God is good to Asaph and his boys. And God is good to the Christian. And so, what, what is it that will catch us from slipping? What will catch us from taking that one step that will cause us to slip and fall and hurt our heads? Well, something has to take place. We have to realize something so that we don't take that step and slip. Take that step and backslide. Take that step and grumble. Take that step and become a murmurer. Take that step and back out on God. We would say, take that step and backslide. What can stop you from taking that step to backslide? Well, uh, a couple of Psalms. Come, turn to, uh, actually in this Psalm, Psalm 73, it gives us a clue as to what we can do so that we don't take that step and slip. Come to verse number 17. We'll look at this chapter and then we'll go to other chapters to get a full picture about what a Christian can do so that he does not slip. Psalm 73, verse number 17. Uh, verse 16 says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Who are the there? The there are the people who are the wicked ones who are prospering. He says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Um, verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought in to, into desolation? As in a moment. When someone slips, it happens so quickly. It happens so, so quickly. In an instant you fall. So he is saying, the Lord is watching. The Lord is monitoring. The Lord knows what's going to happen. And he will cause them to slip. And when the wicked in their arrogancy slip, great will be the fall of it and of them. It will happen in a moment. And then he says in verse number uh, 20, 21, and 22, As a dream when one waketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. But so foolish was I, and ignorant was I as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Now, all this is to express when he stops, he catches himself, he realizes who God is. He says, so foolish was I, I was so ignorant, I'm like an animal. You are what I need. I don't need to have these things to be considered successful or prosperous. I don't need material things to be on par or to keep up with anyone. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. And then he says in verse 20, It is good for me to draw nigh to God, to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all that works. So when he closes this chapter, it begins that God is good to Israel. God is good to everyone. God is good to those who walk with him. But then the prosperous, prosperity of the wicked, it makes me confused because why are they so blessed and prosperous? Because they have all these things. And the godly man, he seems to have so many uh, needs unmet and so on. He says, I am so envious of them. Until then he realizes some things, he catches himself, he takes that step of backsliding on God. Now, 
if you turn to Psalm chapter 37, where we did look at earlier, I want you to see more from what King David said about the wicked and the prosperity of them and how you can overcome uh, becoming envious. Psalm chapter 37. Asaph began to envy the prosperity of the wicked. King David said in Psalm 37, verse number one, fret not, fret not. You ever see a man biting his fingernails off his fingers? He's just worried, straining. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. He will now tell you why you should not be envious against the works of iniquity, even though they seem to be prospering. Verse 2, for they, the workers of iniquity, for they, verse 2, shall soon be cut down like the grass. And wither as the green herb. You ever see a lawnmower cut grass? Oh, it's so much fun. You ever see a weed whacker that's got enough guts to cut weeds and stuff? It's so much fun to see it cut down. It could be three feet tall, but with the right weed whacker and the right thickness of string, you can you just cut it down. It's like so nice, so satisfying to see. Whenever I see city county workers cut grass in my house, I say, I want to stop and watch them work. It's so productive to see them working like that. Well, the wicked shall be cut down like the green grass. Verse number three. Instead, he says this, trust in the Lord. Don't envy them. Instead, 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 trust in the Lord and do good. They're prospering, but they're doing evil. He says, stop. You stop. Don't take that step and slip. Instead, trust the Lord and do good. Just the opposite. This is good advice he gives. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. He continues by saying what to do. Do not take a step to slip. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. He also says now in verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Just the opposite of what the world would do. Instead of fighting and striving and trying to get ahead by illegitimate means, working something that no, 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 just trust, delight, and commit. Verse 7, he continues, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So hard to wait. Fret not thyself because of him, verse 7, who prospereth in his way. Whoa. Did Asaph and King David collaborate? Did they bar from each other? No. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. A. Cease from anger. Trust, delight, commit, rest, cease from anger. Forsake, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. So don't cut corners. Don't cheat. Don't cheat to become prosperous. Again, he says in verse number nine. Watch, look. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10. He spent a lot of time here about the wicked and what shall happen to them. There's nothing about them that we want to envy. Verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place. Now think about this, Asa, or think about this. Think about this, Christian. Thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Verse 12. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. I've got to keep reading some more. The Lord shall laugh at him. 
for he said that his day is coming. So when the wicked prosper, Asaph, when the wicked prosper, it's very normal for you to have envy and, and, and covet, but let's look at things from a different viewpoint. Let's look at things from heaven's viewpoint, from God's viewpoint. What does God see? That is the thing to try to see. Instead of seeing through your eyes what you see, see things through what God would see. And he says, the Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. But the wicked don't think that. They think they can continue without punishment. They shall be punished. If not in this lifetime, in the next. And so that's not an envious thought. That's not a good thought to have. Uh, verse 14, the wicked have drawn out uh, the sword and have bent his bow to cast down the poor needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their swords shall enter into their own heart. Ay, ay, ay. How do you spell backfire? And their bows shall be broken. What can you do with a broken bow? Here comes a bear. Oops. You think the bear's going to stop and say, oh, like a cartoon? Uh, let me help you think. No, no, no. He's going to just eat you. <sighs> verse 17. Well, verse 6. Verse 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. What a good verse. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and the inheritance shall be forever. Quite the opposite of the wicked is to be cut off. Verse 19, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the day of famine they shall be satisfied. That is God's going to take care of them. But the wicked shall perish. Just the opposite. And the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume. Into smoke shall they consume away. Um, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighted in his way. So you have verse 3, 4, 5, 7, 8. Trust, delight, commit, rest, cease, manger. And then you have... Uh, the Lord delighting in his way and the man delighting in God's way as well. Verse 24, though he fall, though he slip and fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth them with his hand. Uh, you talk about Thanksgiving verses, verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now there is consideration in verse 25 because many of God's people throughout history have suffered and gone through famines in the Bible and they have suffered and they have lacked food certain days or for months. It's just been horrible sometimes, but uh, you can still say as he did in uh, chapter 17, verse 1, God is good to Israel and God is good all the time. And so he's ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. Depart from me with 27 and do good and dwell forevermore. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. And that will speak about the millennial kingdom for sure. Uh, verse 32, the wicked watch the righteous and seek to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. And the wicked are cut off, and they and thou shalt see it. I have, verse 35, oh me, what a good verse. I have seen the wicked in great power. Roman Empire, Babylonian Empire. Think of all the empires in the Bible and before and after. And uh, I have seen the wicked in great power. 
and spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet he passed away. And lo, he was not. Well, verse 38, the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, all this, come back to Psalm 73, all this is to, again, talk about how Asaph was feeling down and feeling uh, left out. It's not fair for the righteous to not have and the wicked to have all these things. God says, let's look at things from my viewpoint. I see things differently, and we should too. And so, uh, verse 23 of Psalm 73, Nevertheless, I am continuing with thee, now that'll be one of the levels of how we don't take that step to slip. We always walk with the Lord and trust Him even though things are not as we think it should be in many situations. And um, it is good for me, ending in verse 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. So others may backslide, others may abandon him, but uh, then we, we should not. The Christian should not do that. He would do the right thing instead. It's uh, it's kind of easy to say these things, to teach these things. It's quite another thing to actually go through things and actually practice these things. But that's what the Bible is here for, for us to get uh, encouraged to think differently about how we think in our flesh. I'm thinking about politics, about how the wicked plot to set traps and how they hate because of envy. And uh, whether you like Mr. Trump or not is not the point. The bigger issue that you should see is here's a man who comes down who's going to try to do what he can as a man, as an American, to help the country. And because he has been unconventional, to say the least, they have tried to tear him apart in his personal life, in his finances. In all that he is and all he's trying to do and through everything they magnify everything everything they are guilty of many times more of what he has done or supposed they have done and yet they're in office they're immune why would they do these kind of things why they try to destroy a man who is out of office for three years so when you look at that example now we're not talking about Trump the man but we're looking at him because he is the object when you look at him and how much he is hated and despised, what could it be? What could the issue be as to why a man's heart in the world of politics, what could it be to cause someone to hate a man so much that he is so despised that we must destroy him and destroy everything about him? Wipe him off the face of the earth, wipe him from the history books, and just your lasting impression is Watergate. You know, Nixon's known for Watergate, but he did a lot of good things. But you know him for Watergate. <laughs> well, uh, envy, envy, envy is the root cause of all this devilment. Envy, 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 envy. Remember, Mark 15 tells us for envy to crucify Jesus. And uh, envy is a dangerous, deadly matter of the heart. So, look at Look at life through God's viewpoint to get settled so you don't take the step that causes you to slip. A lot of good men have slipped in our time because they've taken their eyes off of, of the Lord 
and they have looked at things through their own eyes only, and that caused them to slip. So we should all take heed to what the Bible says, and never go down that road, and walk carefully when you have water on the stairs, so you don't slip. All right, uh, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the, the Bible that helps us to remember these matters of the heart, and that we should not take those steps that lead us to be envious of those in the world that seem to be prosperous. And I have no particular person in mind as far as people who are prosperous. I don't know a lot of the people in this world that are prosperous and they're wicked. I, I, I couldn't be able to tell. And I really don't need to know, but I just know in principle that uh, there's a tendency for the human heart to want to have more or to be like those who seem to be very successful and prosperous. And so, Lord, guard our hearts and help us to be content to trust in you. And promotion comes from the east and from the west. It comes from the Lord. And so help us, Father, to trust you for uh, whatever it is that we need to focus on in this life. And uh, we're not talking about um, being rich just to be rich, but we talk about um, guarding our hearts from this particular sin of envy, this monster called envy, which never led into our home, into our hearts, or into our thinking. We should always keep our eyes upon you. And uh, while we thank you for the Bible, which uh, reminds us of these things, we pray in Jesus' name.